CEO just disappeared. And I think his wife said, oh, he died. <laughs> they think he's alive with everyone yeah. else's coin. Right. That's one thing. One person can just take off with those coins. Exit scam. That's the ultimate exit scam. That's the ultimate uh, Bitcoin boating accident. Oh, I'm dead. I don't have my private keys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an episode of the rest of development. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Today is Sunday, the 16th of February, and the block number or block height is 617,551. For normal people, that's Sunday, February the 15th. Hey, Faris, how's it going? Good, everyone. How are we doing? Good. I'm good. So last episode, we talked about wallets, but can you just do a quick recap about what we did in part one? So last episode, which is we recommend what you start with before you go into this one, we gave a summary of what a Bitcoin wallet is, which essentially is a way of how you store, receive, and send your Bitcoins. So in this episode, we're going to look into more details of specific wallets called custodial wallets or third-party wallets. Yeah, so there are, I mean, there's a lot of buzzword bingo, as we said in the last episode. There's hot wallets, cold wallets, hardware wallets, software, blah, 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 physical wallets, virtual wallets. But in my mind, there's really only two kinds of wallets, custodial and non-custodial. And to be honest, we were talking about this before, I get confused between the two. Um, Today, we're going to look at custodial wallets. So what's a custodial wallet and what's some examples of a custodial wallet? Yes, this is something, as Gordon said, we are talking about before, and um, we don't like the terminology custodial wallet because the presumption is you're taking custody when you hear that, but that's not the case. Um, A custodial wallet or a third-party wallet is a term I prefer where you're giving custody to someone else. So that's, for example, if you buy Bitcoin on an exchange and then you don't do anything else. Well, that's on a wallet on the exchange. So the exchange has custody, not you. Yeah, good point. So the difference between it is who has access to the private keys. And if you don't have access to the private keys, you don't own your Bitcoin. So a custodial wallet could be considered perhaps something like a bank account. But what, I mean, why why would people want to use a custodial wallet? So the only reason you'd be using a custodial wallet, um, probably two, one reason, the more common one is traders. So if you want to trade in and out of your Bitcoin, then you're not going to be sending it back and forth to your own personal wallet. Um, A, it takes time. You're losing some fees and transaction. Um, You leave it on the exchange because you want to buy and sell your Bitcoins in and out, and you just need that um, accessibility. And the other reason is maybe people who don't have very good IT um, knowledge or not very adept at using smartphones and really know what they're doing, they might think, you know what, I'm worried I'm going to lose these things. I might just leave them on the exchange and then get them what I want. So that second part is what we're around for. We teach you how to take full sovereignty of your own Bitcoins. But usually it's the first case. Either you're trading or B, you actually actually realize you can get your Bitcoins off the exchange and you should. 
Mm. So what's the danger if I buy some Bitcoins, I send some money to Coinbase or Bitstamp or Kraken or whatever those exchanges? I mean, as far as I'm aware, Binance and Coinbase haven't been hacked. Uh, what's the danger of leaving my coins on an exchange? Well, the danger is that they can be hacked just because they haven't been doesn't mean that they will be. Um, some of those exchanges you mentioned have been hacked, I think. Um, some of them are um, insured. Um, I think Binance is one of them that's actually insured these days. Um, but the thing is, why take the risk? If you're not going to be trading your Bitcoins, why leave them with someone else? Um, yeah, the main reason is traders that just want to go in and out of their positions very quickly. That's the main reason they leave them there. But um, yeah, uh, I think Nick Zabo actually said um, exchanges exist to be hacked because when you think about it, there are that many Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies on an exchange and it's a huge honey pot. They're, they're going to get hit. They're going to get targeted. So you don't want to take that risk if you're not actively day trading your Bitcoins. Yeah, so I think we've beaten this to a dead horse, but not your keys, not your Bitcoin is one of the sayings in the Bitcoin community. So if you don't own your keys, uh, then basically you don't own your Bitcoin. So any Bitcoin you have on an exchange, you don't really own it because that company could go bankrupt, they could get hacked, or they might do something nefarious with it. Another thing, and this has happened, is you might find that one person has access to those Bitcoins and there was a case of a Canadian-based um, crypto exchange last year where the CEO just disappeared and I think his wife said, oh, he died. <laughs> I think he's alive with everyone yeah. else's coin. Right. That's one thing. One person can just take off with those coins. Exit scam. That's the ultimate exit scam. That's the ultimate uh, Bitcoin boating accident. Oh, I'm dead. I don't have my private keys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like they're never seen the rest of development. Yeah. Um, okay. So to play devil's advocate, if I, if one of my um, non-tech savvy friends, or even use my parents, my mom, dad, they they can barely use a mobile phone. They're going to forget the password. If I transfer bitcoins onto a hardware wallet or something where they do have custody of the coins, I'm worried they'll lose the device, they'll lose their password, they'll lose the key. I think they're their own worst enemy. So actually, I think it's more likely that they would lose their Bitcoins off an exchange than on an exchange. So do you think that's really the only use case for non-traders to have someone that they can call up, you've got customer support if something goes wrong? No. So like what you mentioned does happen. I had some friends who recently traveled to China. And she had some Bitcoins on her phone and took them, um, took her phone to China with her. And they're out one day and got back to the hotel and realized, oh, no, where's my phone? And they looked, didn't have her phone, and she ran back to the supermarket where they were and actually found her phone sitting on the shelf with her Bitcoins on it. Wow. She just put it on the shelf while she, she was shopping, and like a couple of hours later, very luckily was there. But if anyone had picked up those, that phone, that's it. She's lost her Bitcoins. So I do mm. see your point. Yeah, maybe they're safer leaving around the exchange, but I'm uncomfortable saying that out loud because to me, once you know what you're doing, it's pretty simple. It's quite, once you're shown how to do it, it's quite simple to move your Bitcoins to a ledger or a treasure or onto a cold storage device. So yeah, with instruction, 
just get your Bitcoins into your own personal vault, which is quite simple with instructions. So I see your point, but it makes me really uncomfortable that we consider that a solution when safer solutions are readily available. Yeah, of course, I'm playing devil's advocate, but I do think for maybe 5% or maybe even less than that, that really, they're not really tech savvy. They're going to lose their password. They're going to lose their private key, whether written it down or put it online or something like that. Um, And of course, as the Bitcoin guy in your family, guy or girl in your family, um, you probably should take a backup of that from them. But uh, yeah, with some people, and maybe that's only 1% of people, it's like, no, there's more chance of you losing your private key than there is the exchange getting hacked. But um, for the other yeah, 99%, really get it off. Yeah. Uh, get your Bitcoins off an exchange. However, there, it, there are some other costs as well. And they're not just financial costs, but there are privacy costs to leaving your Bitcoins on an exchange, considering a Bitcoin has your KYC information already. And you've got to kind of make that decision, I guess, before you buy Bitcoin, where you buy Bitcoin, because you may say, well, I'm just going to buy Bitcoin on this exchange, uh, then I'm going to move it straight off into my hardware wallet. That's great from a, a security and control point of view. You have full custody of those keys. But there is also a privacy cost that you have actually bought coins that are linked to your real world identity. And that company... Um, even if they say that they're not tracking you or whatnot, who knows, some three-letter agency may be sharing information with them. And basically, whatever you do after removing your coins from the exchange, so you might move it into a hardware wallet, you might send it to friends, you might do whatever you want with it, that can be tracked throughout time on the blockchain after that event. So even 10 years later, someone, some analysis company could actually see those coins were bought on an exchange and it's linked to your identity. So I think that's actually an important point that we're not just talking about security, uh, which is obviously the main crux of this conversation, but we're talking about privacy as well. So that's perhaps a decision you need to make. Yeah, sorry, Gordon. So just yeah, one slight correction. You said Bitcoin has KYC. I think you meant um, the exchanges have your KYC details. So with that, there are obviously exchanges where you buy Bitcoin and you have, it's like filling out a bank account. You have to provide ID, date of birth, address, the whole rigmarole. There are some exchanges where you can buy stuff privately. Uh, it depends on who you are. If you are basically um, yeah, so buying Bitcoin because it's part of your investment portfolio, then you're following the rules and you do want to go through all the uh, all the tax requirements that you have to go through. Um, and as Gordon said, the problem you have is what happens if you lose your, those Bitcoins? Because um, that can happen. You can lose your Bitcoins. Um, how do you prove to the government you no longer own something? And this is the problem that people have is, yeah, I, I don't have it anymore. Well, you need to prove you don't have it. How can you prove that you've lost something? Because the last transaction of the Bitcoins would have been, say, into your Cobra wallet or into your mobile phone wallet and you lost them. Well, you can't prove that. So you might mm. end up paying taxes or say, you know, you're going through separation, divorce, a dispute. You might end up having to pay for something you don't own anymore. So that's, um, yeah, that's a tricky one, that one. Um, yeah, and that's the thing with, uh, with wallets is that yeah, it, 
depends on your use case scenario. And I know we do say this, but different wallets for different needs. Um, yeah, I think we're, I don't know if we're deviating off track here, Gordon. <laughs> we tend to do that when we chat. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good point. I think, uh, and the last thing I'll say is, um, yeah, look, if you lose your private keys, as you said, you can't prove a negative. You can't prove that you don't have something. And especially when it comes to stuff like estate planning, you know, what happens if you die, um, your estate or your benefactors will have to get access to that Bitcoin. Well, if they don't have the private keys, they can't. And a lot of people, and this is not my argument, I don't think this is an excuse, but a lot of people say, well, if that's an exchange, that's not a problem because you can call them up, you can, you know, um, prove that this person's dead and show wills and get attorneys involved with it, blah, blah, blah. But obviously with a, a non-custodial solution, if you haven't left the private keys known in your will, then um, those Bitcoins are gone. So yeah. that is uh, definitely something to consider. Cool. All right. Um, now, what else do we want to address about custodial wallets? Um, that's pretty much it, I think. There's not, I mean, there's not a heck of a lot to talk about. I think it's a record short podcast for us. Yeah. So I think that's about it. But essentially, there are different kinds of wallets, but there's really only two categories. Custodial, where a third party, usually a company, or even if it's an app, a developer, owns and controls your private keys, like a bank account. Non-custodial, where you are responsible for the private keys, the managing of the private keys. So it doesn't really matter which kind of wallet you use, just be aware of who controls the keys, because the person who controls the keys owns the keys. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.